Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. Let me ask that again. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Amen. All right. That sounds very, very good. My, um, we got back yesterday at about 1.30 a.m. Um, we landed in Detroit. Uh, we had some delays with our flight, and um, it was a very interesting experience going and coming from uh, England. Um, our flight there, actually, we had a nine-hour layover in Philadelphia, and then on our way back, we had a seven-hour layover in Philadelphia. So both ways, but nonetheless, it worked out actually uh, in our favor because we just left the airport and went home because that's where, where my mom lives. So I was very grateful for the layover. So we got to spend some time with family. So either way, um, the, the, the flight was not going to mess up our day. We just worked with it. Um, so it was a very, very good experience going to England for the first time. But... The most important part of the trip was to see my dad after 18 years apart. What is that like? You might wonder. Um, it, was, it was very interesting because we landed in Manchester. He lives in London. And we were there in Wales for about a week. We were, uh, I was doing a presentation on public campus ministry there in Wales. And we were told to pack for all four seasons. Because in Wales, the weather is very unpredictable. We landed, the place was extremely cloudy. Um, it was very cold. And we were very happy that we packed accordingly. We didn't break the rules uh, or their request to pack uh, for all four seasons. So we were very happy that we had our jackets and so on. And then the next day, it started to rain. And then a little bit of sunshine. And then extremely foggy. And the, the weather was just so unpredictable. Like no one checked their weather uh, apps. It just didn't work. Um, but nonetheless, it was just extremely beautiful. We loved it. Uh, we saw a herd uh, of sheep everywhere, um, all the way up in the country. The roads were just narrow enough to fit one car. Um, and the speed limit, I think it was about 40 miles per hour. So just imagine a narrow road like that with 40 miles an hour, a car coming towards you as you're driving, and it can only fit one. So they somehow worked it out. Um, we survived. <laughs> Um, it was a very wonderful trip. So I wanted to share um, briefly a part of our experience. We went to London the second week, and this is a picture that I was able to capture of the, I think this is the um, parliament, uh, the House of Parliament, I think. Um, we were able to see London by night, and my dad told us that London by night is better than London by day because it's just so busy. And so many people that it's very hard to get around, very hard to get anywhere. So by night, things kind of calm down and it looks a little bit more beautiful. So we were able to see that. So my dad tried frozen yogurt for the first time. And he looked at me and said, son, I really like this. Um, so we, we had a lot of fun walking around together. And we took some pictures. Uh, just so you know, uh, when we finally got to, to London... My dad was at work, and he, uh, he gave me a, uh, a key, in a very, he put it in a very special spot for us, and I picked up the key and opened the door, this red door. He told us that when you get to the house, you can't miss it. It's the only red door on the block, um, kind of like the campus house. 
Um, and uh, we uh, walked in. I, I got the key and opened the door. And as soon as I opened the door and stepped in, he was right behind me. He left work early. And I heard the voice, his voice, Mr. Gale. That's what he called me, his, his oldest son. And I turned around and looked at him. And there was my dad. And we hugged each other for a long time. And he cried and I cried. 18 years, just like that, in one moment. Uh, and um, so I don't know how to summarize that. There's no way to summarize that experience. It was just so great. We didn't want to leave. And um, we just have a very good relationship. And it's as if nothing happened. It's as if, it's as if the years didn't go by. It's just that I felt like I was his son. He was my dad. And we had a lot of fun together. So I wanted to show you a picture. Uh, of course, we took a selfie, because I'm all about selfies. And uh, my dad, um, I, I cried the night that I was looking at this photo, because I don't, uh, the last memory I have of my dad was not this. Um, he was leaving, and he was sad, and I was sad. And to see him laughing, along with my wife and I, and over and over he would say, I'm just so happy that my son came. And then he said, I got a bonus because he brought his wife with him. And um, so Allie enjoyed herself. We both enjoyed the trip. And um, we, yeah, it was, it was difficult to leave. It was very difficult to leave. I, I'm sure you can probably already tell. And, um, but nonetheless, the Lord knows what's best. And um, he he actually said to me on the day that we were leaving that um, the time will come again where we'll see each other and we won't have to part. My dad is a pre-Adventist, so pray for him. He is close to the kingdom of God, and I'm praying for him, and we spent some time together talking about some of those things as well. And so I'm praying, and I know that he might be watching the sermon, and I'm praying for him. He knows. I tell him all the time. And I threatened him that I was going to do a Bible study with him, and he said, bring it. Um, that's the kind of dad I have. So he is definitely right there. And God is so good. And we prayed together tonight. And yeah, anyway, I just can't say it enough that I was very happy that I got to see him after 18 years. Um, he says 18, I say 19. And one of us is wrong. I think he is. But don't tell him I said that. Um, it feels like 19. But... Today, the title of the message is My Great Name, and it, something happened to me, actually, when I heard my father's voice when he said, Mr. Gale. The idea that uh, that conveyed was that he was proud of what I, I had become by the grace of God, and I deserved to be called Mr. Uh, there's no greater feeling in the world than to be called Mr. Gale by your dad. And I looked at him and called him my son. And he was introducing me all over the place. He was taking me to different people and saying, this is my son. Um, this is my son. And I would, re I would respond by saying, this is my son as well. Um, so everyone was getting confused. Who was the father? Um, but um, he was laughing the whole time. Let's pray together as we begin today's message. Father in heaven, you are so good. 
to us. We are undeserving of the many blessings you give to us, but nonetheless, you give them, give them anyway. And Father, I come before you now because I realize that I am a recipient of these blessings, and they are many, but I dare not stand before your people without first realizing that I am nothing but a weak individual who really needs you. And this is one of those moments where I really would like for you to speak because we really would like to hear your voice. We would really like to hear you speak hope to our hearts today. Father, you have the time, and we thank you for being here with us. So we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. My great name. Name means something. Mr. Gale meant something for my dad, and it means something for me. And today I think I would like to begin by taking your attention to two names that are not very popular per se. Some might know of the, these names, but others might not. The first name is, uh, well, actually these names come from out of, uh, well, they're historical names. And you'll find their names in a book that I stumbled across the other day. The book is titled The Evolution of Cardiac Surgery. And the first name of uh, one of the doctors was Dr. Henry Dalton. His story begins in the year 1891. He was working in, this, in, a, uh, in the city hospital of St. Louis. And September of that year, Dr. Henry Dalton was brought a patient. The patient was a 24-year-old individual who had a wound to his chest. He was about to die. And he was brought before Dr. Henry Dalton. And it was then that Dr. Henry Dalton performed the first ever open-heart surgery. He wrote, I had no precedent to guide me. I had no authority to uphold me in attempting to sew up this wound over a heart that was beating at the rate of 140 beats per minute. But nonetheless, the surgery was successful, and the person survived. They lived to tell the story. Dr. Henry Dalton. The other person was Dr. Hen Dr. Hale Williams, and the year was 1893. He was working at Provident Hospital in Chicago when he was brought a patient, and this patient was 22 years old with a stab wound to the chest. And he was brought to the hospital, and he was also on the brink of death. And Dr. Hale Williams in 19, 1893 performed a second successful open heart surgery, and the boy recovered. He was stabbed by someone, there was a fight, and he was stabbed and he was slipping in and out of consciousness and he was bleeding internally and Dr. Hale Williams, a black African-American surgeon, performed the surgery and the boy survived. The second, the second 
uh, surgeon to perform a successful open heart surgery. Their names, they're not so familiar. In fact, I didn't know of these names until I read about them, probably because I really haven't done much research on open heart surgeries because I really didn't have much of an interest in it. But in the United States, open heart surgeries are performed ever so often and more often than not because our health is declining and there are many hearts that are broken. There are many hearts that need healing and there are many hearts that need surgeries. And doctor after doctor perform these surgeries to this day. The title of our message, My Great Name, doesn't come from the idea that my name, Gail, is great. I don't think there's anything great about my name. When I introduce myself and I try to encourage people to memorize or to remember my name, I normally refer to the, the bird Nightingale or Gale Force Winds. And people tend to resonate with Gale Force Winds. I guess there's a lot of power to Gale. Don't, don't believe me, that's not true. But they tend to remember my name. I had a very interesting experience once. I was in a meeting and I was being um, introduced. In th I think it was a roll call actually and they were trying to recall my name. I think they had recorded it wrong. And in the middle of asking who was present, the name came forward and the name was Jemani. And I sat there waiting for someone else to respond. And I heard it again, Jemani, are you present? And I didn't respond. I didn't know who they were talking about. Someone poked me and said, Jemani, you better respond. And I was there having a one-on-one -on -one conversation. This person was convincing me that my name was Jemani. I had to respond that, no, it's Jermaine. And the person doing the roll call was the, the obviously nervous now, realizing that the name was recorded wrong. And the person said, I, I, I am so sorry. Um, not Jemani, Jermaine. How do you feel when someone says your name wrong? The tendency is to correct them. Or if you're like most people, you don't say anything. You just smile and move on hoping that they'll forget that wrong name and get the correct one. You know, our names do identify us. Jermaine, not Jemani. And how do you feel when you say someone's name wrong? That's a tough one, isn't it? Or... Sometimes it happens this way when you're shaking someone's hand and you just can't remember their name. No matter how hard you try. And some of us are bold enough to try and we say the wrong name. Hi, good to meet you, Josiah. And they're like, no, it's Jonathan. And you feel obviously embarrassed. Jonathan, I'm sorry, didn't remember your name. Or sometimes this happens to me, I get a text message from a good friend and I don't recognize the number and they're going on and I'm going on as well and we're talking, having a good conversation and I'm trying to figure out who this person is and I just can't remember the name. I get to the point now in my life where I just ask because I'm tired of guessing and getting it wrong. 
So I just ask, I'm sorry, I don't have your number saved. I would love to save your number because you're such a great friend. If you get a text message like that from Pastor Jermaine, just pray for him. Or just help him out. Just say, Pastor Jermaine, don't worry, it's, it's this, it's, it's so. Just give me the name, help me out. But generally, when I ask, they give the name, and then I get to save it, and then I try my best to memorize it. Names are important. Ezekiel 36 and verse 26 Ezekiel 36 is a very interesting chapter because it is a chapter about restoration. And the reason why I shared those stories about those heart surgeons is because this book, this, this chapter of this book is not only just restoration of physical things, but rather internal things and most importantly, the restoration of the human heart. Ezekiel 36 is literally the chapter where God gets to perform an open heart surgery. And he wants to make a name for himself. That's if he's allowed to do it. Ezekiel 36 verse 23. We'll start there. And the Bible says this. Verse 22. We'll start there. The Bible says in verse 22 of Ezekiel chapter 36 on page 1000. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus said the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, that's where our title comes from, which has been profaned among the nations which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I'm hallowed in you before their eyes. Imagine with me that you were allowed to enter the room where surgeries are performed. Imagine with me that as you walk into this room, you see the table on which the individual who is going to go under the surgery would be laying. You see on the side maybe a table with all the surgical equipment, you know, the Gemini clamp, you know, the scalpel and the artery clip and the, the sternal wire clipper, these are some of the instruments that they use to perform open heart surgeries. And what do I know about these things? You don't want someone like me to work on your heart. I wouldn't even trust myself. But nonetheless, when doctors get into the, the room to perform these surgeries, they got all their instruments in order. And as you and I walk in, we observe all the instruments placed neatly and we see the table, and on that table before our eyes, we see no other than the children of Israel laying there, and God, the surgeon. And God was now working on his people. Because in Ezekiel 20, 36, verse 26, the Bible says, I will give you a new heart. God was about to perform an open heart surgery, a new heart. Now, why do we get here? Why are we here in this operating room? 
You see, Israel was always loved by God. And as we've been engaged in our readings, we see many times in their experience with God that there was a lot of ups and downs. Rather, more downs than ups. Occasionally, the Israelites would fall victim to their own desires, idolatry, worshiping everything and everyone else but God. And God nonetheless loved them. He had sent them prophets betimes with messages of warning and encouraging messages as well. They, the prophets were there to preserve their spiritual health, but nonetheless they were not deemed as messengers or they were not listened to. Neither were they obeyed. The many warnings that were given were not heeded by the Israelites. They didn't listen to Isaiah nor Jeremiah, and they didn't listen to Ezekiel. And as a result of their disobedience, God allowed them to enter Babylon as slaves, as captives. You can never break God's law with impunity. You can never go on despising God without experiencing his justice. But nonetheless, this chapter is not just about justice, it's also about mercy. And so, God's laws had been disobeyed, and the Israelites were having some issues of the heart. Their hearts were sick, according to Isaiah. And in Ezekiel, their hearts were as stone. But God wanted to do something, and this that which, that which God wanted to do came out of his concern for his name. Because after God's people had lived for so long, doing so much, the one who suffered the most was God himself. Because he loved them. But nonetheless, they kept walking away from him. And he says, I had concern for my holy name. Can you imagine that God gets to the point where all that he can rescue is his name? His name. Growing up, my grandmother used to always tell me that it's never good to drag your family's name in the dirt because of your actions. And the Israelites had done this very thing. They had been accustomed to following their own ways, their own deeds, and they didn't follow, per se, the doctor's orders, God. They had followed their own counsels, and they were nothing more than defiled and unclean. The Bible actually tells us here, in verse 22... But for my holy name's sake, the latter part of 22, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. In verse 23, the Bible says, And I will sanctify my name, my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water, verse 25, on you and you will be clean. 
I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. The condition of God's people was deplorable, but God had great concern for his name. He wouldn't stay back and watch his name being dragged in the dirt, and so he decided to do something about it. And that's what we find in Ezekiel 36. There are 10 things that God willed to do to restore his name in the hearts and in the lives of his people. Observe with me. The first thing that God wanted to do for his people was that he wanted to sanctify his own name. God's people had gotten to a point where they had forgotten everything that God's name stood for. And God wanted his name to be set apart as holy, and so he willed to sanctify his name. The first thing that we learn in Ezekiel 36 about God the heart surgeon is that whenever the heart goes wayward, God always brings his name to the center. He always brings his name back into the picture. When it comes to restoration, it's important to be to understand the importance of his name. As in my experience, I think my dad understood that when he said, Mr. Gale, he wanted me to remember my name. God the same, his great name. The second thing that God willed to do was that, and I will take you from among the nations. I will take you from among the nations. Because of God's great name, he was not willing to allow his people to just wander all over. He will never leave out justice when it's necessary, but God, God also regards mercy as an important part of restoration. Verse, the next thought that we find in verse 25, the next I will, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. Whenever God's name is defiled, his great name, he comes in to clean. He comes in to clean house. Because of my great name, God is saying, I will sprinkle clean water on you that you will be cleansed. In other words, all that we see in Ezekiel 36 is that God is so concerned about his name that he would not allow his people to go in the path that they were going to go. You don't deserve it, his blessings at least, but because of his great name, he bestows it. And so we're thankful for that. God wanted to let Israel know that the extremity of their corruption did not remove from them the possibility of redemption. And that's important because that's who God is. And that's what makes his name great. It doesn't matter how far we may go. We will not be, or in this case, in Israel's case, not beyond the possibility of redemption and restoration, beyond grace. He goes all the way so that the world might see that Extreme cases needs extreme surgeries. 
and extreme restoration. And extreme restoration leads to extreme stories. And these stories demonstrate how great God's name is. The next I will, the Bible says in verse 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The Israelites had gone so far that their hearts were like stone. And God intended on changing that and so he wanted to give them a new heart. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Verse 29, the next I will. I will deliver you from all your uncleanness and I will call, you, call for the grain to multiply and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply, the next I will, the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. What is Ezekiel 36 about? This chapter is about how God restores people. And he does it because of his great name. Why is this important to you and I? It's because a lot of times when we find ourselves away from him, what we forget most of all is his great name. Like the prodigal son who had forgotten what his father was like. When he finally came to his senses, he thought about his father and he viewed himself as nothing more than just a servant, a slave. He no longer regarded himself as a son. But the greatness of his father was demonstrated in the fact that his father saw him still as a son, but more than that, an honored guest in his home. See, God is all about restoring things. God is all about restoring people. God is all about restoring relationships. And in Ezekiel 36, starting especially with verse 26, God is all about restoring hearts. There's one thing that you learn from reading Ezekiel 36, and that is before there is external, external restoration, there has to be internal restoration first. God wanted to perform the heart surgery before he blessed the land. And a lot of times, the issue is not with our possessions. The issue is with our hearts. I will give you a new heart. Because of his great name, God wanted to restore something. And so, for me, the night that I was planning or packing, the night I was packing to leave my dad's home, I had a thought. My mind was taken back to the nights that I was in college, when I was in college, the nights that I would stay up and weep. And I would weep because I had only one request. I want to see my dad. I was just a kid when he left, and I prayed every day. I, I promise you, I prayed every single day for our relationship to be restored. 
prayed and prayed again. And that night when I was packing, all of a sudden I, was just, I just felt really overwhelmed with the thought of how great God is. Because here I was, now experiencing an answer to my prayer. But God needed to do something first for me before this could ever happen. And that, if we use our analogy going back to the operating room, this time it wasn't Israel, this time it was Jermaine. I found myself on the operating table where God had to change my heart. Because because of circumstances, I was very, very bitter, very upset, for a very long time, very burdened. In fact, so burdened that I remember writing my dad an eight-page letter expressing how I felt. All my disappointments, all my anger, everything in that letter. You know what's interesting to me is that when we met up, he never mentioned it. He never mentioned the letter. All he said was, I'm happy that my son is home. That's all. But after writing that letter, I can tell you that the most important thing that I've experienced in my life from Christ, from God, was a change of heart. Because all those things needed to be removed. And so he performed a heart surgery. And there's no credit to me it was because of his great name. God couldn't allow our relationship to continue that way. So this morning, I wanted to remind you of the power of God to restore broken relationships, of the power of God to restore broken hearts, of the power of God to restore even you and I, who sometimes find ourselves outside of his will because of his great name. And there's no greater name than his. God is not afraid of going the extra mile. His will is to make you and I like him. And because of his great name, he's not afraid of performing open heart surgeries. So I wonder in this room, if you have someone that you're thinking about, praying about, maybe there's a relationship that needs to be restored, or maybe it's your heart that needs to experience that open heart surgery. Maybe you need that restoration that only God can provide. And maybe you need to give him the chance to prove himself he is great. I read about an instrument. It's called a finder. It was designed by some researchers and scientists from NASA. NASA. And the finder is a very interesting instrument because it's used to identify or locate people that have been trapped under rubble in uh, earthquakes or trapped under snow in avalanches. This device can detect the faintest heartbeat from 30 feet below the ground. 30 feet. 
Just imagine that. Bodies located, people who were on the brink of death found in, in the right, on the right time and reinstated, helped, brought back. And I wonder if you and I today find ourselves stuck under rubble, our hearts needing to be de detected, brought back, restored. And God knows just how to do it. So, I want you to think about your relationships. I think this was a, just a great experience for me. And I want you to, with me as we pray to close, invite the Lord to do something that will bring honor to his great name in your own life and in your own experience and in your own relationships. Son, daughter, mother, father, sister, brother, uncle and aunts, church family. I really pray that we may find the will of God here because he intends on restoring our relationships. If there's someone in this room today who would like to pray with me about one of those relationships, or maybe your heart is heavy. Maybe you're covered with rubble and you need to be freed. I invite you to stand with me as we pray. I think God does these things because he knows how important they are to us. And we must never forget how important we are to him. And he does all of this because of his great name. I am so thankful today because I have a great God who can restore relationships. And um, let's pray together. Father, it is because of your great name why you do these things. And I, for one, am very thankful. I know that you are a great God. And you do these things so that we can come to the point where we recognize that that's your heart. That's who you are. And so, Father, I want to pray a very special prayer even now for those who are standing and those who are sitting. Because in our hearts, we think of people who we need or people that our relationships are broken with and there needs to be restoration. But we also think of our own hearts, dear Father, where we do need that open heart surgery so that we ourselves may be revived and restored. Father, we pray that this may be our experience. We pray that our restoration may be a reality. We pray that we may recognize that you're wanting, longing, more than willing to do it for us. And so we give you these situations now, thanking you for having promised. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.